and this is Founder Coffee. Every three weeks, I have coffee with a different founder. We discuss life, passions, learnings in an intimate talk, getting to know the person behind the company. For this 35th episode, I talk to Mada Segete, co-founder of Branch, the leading platform that makes deep linking to specific places in mobile apps easy. After Mada's mom helped her to get a full scholarship to st- study in the US, she studied computer engineering and got her first job as a software developer. She only did this for a year, after which she consecutively worked as a business consultant, worked as a product manager, went to Stanford Business School and co-founded her first startup company. It was while working on that startup company that she and her co-founders launched a referral program and discovered how difficult it was to link to specific places within their app, Branch was born. We talk about Goodreads and Goodreads, the app, uh, about working 14 to 16 hours per day and being lucky, Branch's big vision and the excitement of building a team and making an impact. Welcome to Founder Coffee. Hi Mara, it's uh, great to have you on Founder Coffee. Thanks for having me, super excited to be here. Uh, you are a co-founder of, of Branch. Um, I, I know that Branch is, is uh, especially known in, in some circles or at least people are, are in SaaS. Uh, what do you guys exactly do? Yeah, we're a mobile growth platform. Um, so we do mobile links and attribution to help uh, companies grow on mobile to both helping them with acquisition, understanding the user better, giving them better experiences from web to app, and then giving them a full understanding as a user of the user journey across um, the entire multiple devices, multiple websites, the app, email, and, and different channels. Oh, so it's it's way more than I actually imagined. The way I imagined Branch was that it sort of solves that annoying issue that when you send out, for instance, uh, let's say you're Zalando and you send out uh, a bunch of deals to people and you mm-hmm. click on it and then you land in the mobile app instead of in that exact product. Uh, yeah. That's, that's kind of what you guys solve, right? Or Yeah, we definitely solve it. That's like uh, the core of what we do. Mm-hmm. But because we take people to the right place, yeah. we actually uh, we are the links that take people from channel to channel. We actually built something called the user persona, mm-hmm. where we understand the user across multiple browsers. So we tie different cookies on different browsers together with the uh, advertiser ID in the app. So not only do we help create that experience and take people to the right place, but we also understand the entire user journey and help yeah. someone understand how a campaign might work. You know, if they send an email, someone goes to the website, a few days later, they download the app, they do something in the app. We know that it's actually the same user and we help the company understand and get better ROI. Yeah. And we then, we have all these different products that help you take people into the app. Like we have a banner product that basically allows you to, depending on when the user comes to your website, how engaged they are, you show them a banner to convert them into the app and you can show promotions in it and things like that. Um, you know, we do a similar thing with email or social. So we, we're definitely like at the core is what you said, our, our, mm-hmm. our but we've built an entire growth platform on top of it. Yeah. So, so how does it exactly work? You, you talk to a company about this core issue and then you start saying, but we also do a lot of other things or... 
Um, it's a mixture of like we, you know, I'm 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 flying to Denver tonight to mm-hmm. go in like a mobile growth workshop to one of our customers where I do a lot of talks on growth and I, I think about the, all the different stages of growth from, from acquisition to engagement to virality to retention. And I, we usually say, okay, like we have this core platform that helps you with these links, but these are all the tools and these are all the ways you can improve every stage of your growth path. And this is how we can help. Right? You can use our links to create a sharing or referral program. You can use our link to create a web to app program or an email program or a social program. So we help you. And, and you, I mean, we, we have solutions for you, but you still have to kind of do what's best for your business. So the yeah. way we, we, we're almost like advisors, we help you use our products to create a growth plan for your company. Yeah. Uh, you, you started off um, branch with a few other people. Um, how how did that happen exactly? Like at what exact moment did that spark happen and you decided to work together to solve this issue? Yeah, we've been, so I've been working with my co-founders for quite some time. I think about seven years now. Uh, we met in business school. We were definitely typical business school students, maybe not typical, yeah. but we definitely, three of us were, went to business school together and we really wanted to start a business and I think we were looking for people around us that were as passionate and were willing to dedicate as much and be as serious about the business mm-hmm. and I think we were all having conversations with people and we kind of found each other I found Alex first he seemed really intense convinced him to work with me applied to a class together uh, that was like an entrepreneurship class and we actually had a few different ideas before branch um in one of those, so the one we did over the summer between first and second year of business school was an app. Uh, it was called Kindred. It was a photo book printing app that allowed you to, you know, build these photo books and we would ship them to you or your friends. And um, we, it, it was really hard to grow. I mean, it, it's the ecosystem today for mobile is incredibly um, crowded. There's 5 million apps between the, the Android and the Apple App Store. And people spend 95% of their time in the top 10 apps. So it's pretty brutal out there when you launch a new app to actually get users to it. It's incredibly expensive. You don't really have a lot of channels. So we struggled with that for about a year. We had raised money. We were actually featured by Apple in Best New Apps. So we did pretty well. We sold, I think, over 10,000 photo books but then realized that, man, this is a, it's so hard. And then we were really struggling with growth for our own app. So we were trying to build a sharing program and a referral program where I start a photo book and I invite a friend and then they come from my link and they continue the photo book. And that was impossible. It was really hard to like match someone opening an app for the first time to someone clicking a link. Mm-hmm. It seemed crazy. Like the way the web works is you discover things because of content, people send you websites and you go to the websites. Why can't app be, apps be the same? Uh, why do you always have to like go and download the app and then find the content? And um, It seemed like a much bigger problem than the problem we're trying to solve with photo books. So we ended up selling the app and started focusing on this. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's kind of how it started. We had the problem ourselves for quite some time. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's basically the, from the need of, of wanting to start something in business school, find the right people to work with, and then you start something and then stumbled upon a, a much bigger problem than the photo books. Yeah, pretty much. A lot of companies, I think. Yeah. yeah. Have a similar journey. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of similar for us as well, I think. We was we had business intelligence software and we figured that this selling the software was was more difficult than the software itself and then we start make it software for selling basically so yeah have you so what was kind of your motivation to start business school was that to start a company or you started business school for other reasons um i was a consultant um like after undergrad and when you're in consulting they kind of drill it if you do strategy consulting it's the path is to like go to business school. So I thought very seriously about business school or joining a, a startup. I ended up applying and I didn't get, and I was on the wait list. I only applied to one school. And um, I, but I, you know, like I kind of thought about business school for a while and it, it was something on my mind. And then three years later, my green card got denied. And I didn't really know what to do with my life. So mm-hmm. uh, I decided I was going to try business school again and it could maybe help me go through my visa issues. Yeah. It didn't. <laughs> Actually, I ended up getting a green card through the company I worked for. But um, that's what prompted me. Um, I did know, you know, starting a company was part of like, I I went to business school knowing I wanted to start a company and I had been thinking about starting a company for quite some time. Mm -hmm. So that definitely played into it, but it wasn't the only reason. It was a mixture of that and life. Yeah. It's the, it's the first time I heard someone, uh, pay the, the amount of money needed for uh, Stanford to, to, uh, to, to get a green card. Well, you know, I haven't paid it yet. I'm still paying my loans. Yeah. <laughs> and I did not get a green card, actually. I did not know at the, yeah. know at the time, but if you've already showed intent, it's actually yeah. pretty hard to like get a student visa. So I would have probably not been able to go to business school had I not gotten the green card through other yeah. methods. But I didn't, when I applied, I didn't really know that. I thought I could just go back on a student visa. So you, you grew up in Romania, right? I did, yeah. Was it in uh, in Bucharest or was that somewhere close? Uh, no, it was in a small town up north called Baco. Um, and I moved to Bucharest. My family moved to Bucharest when I was in 11th grade. Mm-hmm. And then I came to the city. So I only lived in Bucharest for two years. Most of my life was in a small town. Yeah. And then you uh, you went studying in uh, in the U.S., if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, I had a full scholarship um, and I ended up um, coming to the States and studying computer engineering at Cornell. Yeah. Was there any specific reasons to do that or just because you, you got the scholarship and it seemed uh, exciting? Um, no, my mom like read in an article newspaper that like if you're really good at math, there's all these kids and you can get a scholarship to the States. Yeah. And she started researching it and pushed me to research it. And I decided to try. And I applied to like 25 schools or something because I needed a full scholarship. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was pretty intense. I, uh, in the end, I ended up 
getting in, which was amazing. But I definitely, um, it was definitely a process <laughs> and it was very intentional. It didn't just happen to get this. I didn't just happen to get a scholarship. Like I had to take all the tests and it was, it was a pretty intense, um, intense time. And I think my mom pushed me and supported me through it. And I probably, um, you know, a lot of it is thanks to her. Yeah. That's nice. And then you kind of put your math to use by studying computer engineering. Why did you go for computer engineering and not, for instance, let's say electrical engineering? I mean, it was, it's electrical and computer engineering. Ah, uh, combination. But I concentrated on computer architecture. So that's why I called it computer engineering. Ah, was, okay. The major was both. Oh, yeah, I see it on your LinkedIn. Electrical and computer engineering. Wow, that's the, the nerdiest of engineering, I would say. Yeah, honestly, I think I should have done computer science. I, I yeah. minded in computer science, and I, my first job out of college was as a software developer. Mm-hmm. I think the reason I did it, it's kind of a stupid reason. Uh, I was dating this guy, and he was two years older than me, and he was in computer engineering. And I remember him saying, oh, you shouldn't do computer engineering. It's like the hardest major. Like, you should do something easier. And I was like, I'm going to do it just to prove you wrong. <laughs> but I, I'm going to do it the hardest. And um, I didn't like particularly enjoy it, especially like, especially the electrical side of it. Mm-hmm. I enjoy the computer side, like the digital stuff. But even that, like once I got to the courses where you like use hardware description languages to create processors and stuff, it wasn't, I think I really like software a lot more than I like hardware. And my favorite classes were um, my CS classes and animation. And um, so it's very hard to switch majors because it's like Cornell is on a semester system. So you you only get like eight semesters. And to be an engineer is actually really hard. A lot of people who start as engineers don't end up like having the GPA to actually continue to the major. So it was like by the time I like kind of realized I should have done something else, it was definitely too late. I couldn't have like gone and done computer science. I would have had to stay an extra year like that to switch majors. But then you actually became a software engineer and did that for for a year only after which you you said, okay, this is enough? Uh, No, my H1B got denied. My entire life is... Uh, a series of <laughs> immigration issues that changed yeah. the course. Uh, no, I actually really like being a computer, uh, a software developer, but my H1B got denied, so I couldn't stay in the country unless I went back to school, which I did. And then I went to Stanford de- doing MSNE, and I really, like, really enjoyed the major, and I liked the mm-hmm. part, like, I like interacting with people. I'm an extrovert, so I think there were parts of developer, being a developer that I love, but there were also other parts where I was by myself at the computer all the time. And I like really missed being around people and interacting with people and being, so I got really interested in product. Um, and then, you know, when you start at Stanford, you kind of like go through the immigrant, you kind of go through the, like people start trying to recruit right away. So I went to these careers fairs and I, basically applied to a bunch of interviews and I got a job in consulting. And this was maybe a month after I started my degree. And because of these visa issues and stuff, I decided to stick with it because they had applied for my H1B. And, you know, like the security of staying in the country was more important than other things. 
mm-hmm. and things like startup or even Google or Facebook, they only recruited much later on. And it was too late for me to actually, for them to apply for visa and stuff. So I, I just stuck with the consulting for a year. And then I kind of like learned how to be a business person and realized that I like it probably just as much as being a developer. Um, and uh, so then I ended up going um, to a startup. I left, I, I really didn't like the actual being consulting, although I learned a lot. So um, when a recruiter came and tried to convince me to join the startup, I went for it. Yeah. And then you actually went into product management, which is like a totally yeah. different thing again. Well, it's sort of related to the other things, uh, maybe. It's like, I think I had this vision of being a product manager and I thought it would be the perfect job for me because I have like business skills and I'm also technical, but then I realized that I actually am not that good at being a product manager and I kind of hate, hate it. Yeah, <laughs> what? Think, um, well, like I think, I think being a good product manager, you have to be incredibly process driven and organized. And I wouldn't say that those are my strengths. I think my, my strengths are being very data-driven and being creative. Um, and, you know, those work at the beginning when you're designing, but like a lot of being a product manager is really managing the product, managing the process, managing bugs. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I just really, I like the product design part, but I hated the actual management. And um so when we ended up starting branch, I started focusing more on the business side. Like, And I think marketing really is, in a way, the perfect mixture of my skills. Because in today's world, marketing is incredibly data-driven. So I can be super nerdy and build Tableau dashboards uh, and, and you know spend a lot of time with the numbers. But I can also be creative and test new things out. And, um, and I think you know doing marketing for branch we are a pretty technical product. And in the early days, we were going completely after developers. So I think having a developer background definitely gave me the ability to understand developers and market to them. Um, so it was, it was, it all kind of worked out in the end. Uh, but I've definitely had a kind of a weird, weird journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've, you've been through a lot of different uh, sort of uh, directions finding out your way uh, i'd say yeah uh, is is how, how do you guys exactly work together between marketing and product in uh, in branch is that is that very closely related or is it is it more two different parts of the company um i mean we have a product marketing team uh that's like kind of in in between mm-hmm. i wouldn't say that like outside of product marketing we're like that close um, we're, I mean, we, we have, we, we talk about product launches and, and things like that, but I would say we probably work closer to the sales team than we do to the, to the product team. Like if I am to think of everyone on the team, but the product marketing team works very close with the product team. Yeah. Cool. Uh, prior to this conversation, I, uh, I mentioned to your, to you already that I, I found it really, um, impressive like the amount of um funding you guys raised for branch uh for something that when you when you at first think about it uh you you might not consider it that big of a problem uh when you then think about it again then you might think oh maybe it is that big of a problem why did you raise it's about 400 million right or 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if you think about the what we're really trying to do is we're changing, it's almost like we're trying to change the piping for the mobile world to make it work like the web used to work. So when the web was started, uh, you know, a bunch of people came together and they agreed on a standard, on the way websites are going to work. And the, the HTTP standard became the way website that websites are built and everyone uses a standard. So the web kind of works the same for everyone. Uh, and it's not, the web is not owned by anyone, right? It's an it's a, it's a open source public platform. And when mobile was introduced, it became something very different. It was owned by these big giants that were competing against each other. So the mobile ecosystem is not open like the web is. It's actually owned by different companies who have different standards and who won't agree to a standard on how, a, how an app is actually built and how you can get to content. So the way you get to content in you know, iOS or Android is different. And then, and then you have all these like super apps built on top of them, like Gojek or WeChat or Rappi. And they're all almost like ecosystems on top of this other ecosystem. So the mobile, mobile, mobile is incredibly fragmented and it's very hard to have a standard on how you actually get to content and how you discover content. So we're trying in a way to build piping that unifies this platform and helps like everyone know how they can like build a way for people to get to their content regardless of the platform and have like one something that unifies all these different platforms mm-hmm. and then from a user perspective um, right now discovery is incredibly hard uh, and you have two types of discovery you know right you have intent-based discovery when you search for something and then you have non-intent-based discovery when you discover something like the way you find things on facebook I think a lot of what we've worked in the past was more on the uh, non-intent-based discovery, right? Helping these companies promote their apps through the content in the app instead of the app itself. Uh, That can really increase conversions, give users better experiences. And the long-term vision is to actually own all of discovery and help people find apps and content in apps better. Yeah. So it's a a big, it's a really big... uh, I think it's kind of like a really big vision we're trying to go after. So that's one yep. of the reasons to raise so much money. Yes, it 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 it, it does sound very big. Does it for for you to kind of make that vision true? Does it require everyone to use branch? Definitely, yes. It does require. <laughs> everyone to use branch. And we like our platform. We do have. I think we have like sixty thousand apps or something. So if you look at the top apps around the world, um, we are we have a very high penetration into those. Uh, we 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 have like to use our links. It's, they are actually free, so anyone can use our links to give that better experience you're talking about. Mm-hmm. How we make money is through these products that we build on top of the links that can help you with growth. But the piping itself, if you want to actually go and just build you know, the better experience. All of that is free regardless of how big you are. So that's how you kind of get a foot in the in the door. Uh, you offer the, the pipings for free and then you say, ah, but look, look what else you can do with it. 
I mean, that's not how SaaS works. <laughs> In many cases, companies, when they think something is free, they think we're going to sell their data or something like that, which, mm-hmm. which we don't. We are actually, we have these three privacy principles <laughs> where we actually try to, we limit the data we collect. We do not sell data and we only allow people access to the data of the user visiting their own properties. So we're like, but, but, but in the early days, um, people wouldn't even like talk to us and they would assume because we were free that we did something with the data or that's how we make money. Yeah. Uh, so although our principles are pretty big on our website and all our contracts say it and all of that, people still assume that. So sometimes actually charging uh, for something gives people more confidence that you're not going to do something weird, which is like really yeah. interesting, right? So. I wouldn't say that we have so many people using us for free and then upgrading, but I would say that for the long tail in the market, the fact that we have a free product does mean that we get a lot of adoption um, yeah, yeah. for developers who we might not have enough time or effort um, to actually sell them and have an account manager. So the fact that we're free means that we get wide uh, adoption without like, you know, putting people on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe a slightly different question, but uh, when when building a company uh, like Branch or or before Kindred, uh, what is it exactly that excites you? Um, I mean, I really like the impact that we can make on the world. Um, I think just seeing our customers makes me really happy. Like when I meet people, I travel a lot. I probably travel most of out of my co-founders. And when I meet random people who are like, oh my God, we use Branch and it's like the engine that powers the growth of my app. Mm-hmm. It makes me really, it's just such an incredible feeling to feel that I help build something that is actually bringing value to others. I, I get really, really excited about that. And then the other thing that really excites me um, is this idea. I think I'm fascinated by psychology and groups. And this idea of building a group of people that have a common mission and vision and how do you get everyone aligned? It's just like fascinating to me. Um, So I I think a lot of the work I do outside of my core job, which is around marketing and market development is really around like thinking about our culture and how do you find, how to define our culture. And, uh, and that's been really interesting and fun. Yeah. So it's sort of a, both both an external and an internal focus, helping people yeah, outside the company and helping people inside the company help these people better. Yeah. Cool. What what is it that you lately spend most of your time working on? Uh, this year has been an interesting year. I transition roles from leading the marketing team to starting a new team that's all around like new markets and market development. Um, and that's and so this is more somewhere in the middle of marketing and sales, where I actually go to a lot more customer meetings. I help the product marketing team with messaging. Um, I try to understand the ecosystem and talk about it. So I've like this year has been a lot of public speaking, a lot of travel. I think I've been to 15 countries, um, some of them twice. So I spent a lot of times on playing. Um, and then on the internal side, I, I, I think as we we're growing, we're almost 400 people now and we have, I think a hundred open roles. Um, 
thinking about how to make sure that we're scaling our culture and behaviors and um, the feeling of our company across all the different offices and across, you know, the next hundred people that we hire and then the next hundred after that. Those have to probably been the two big focuses for me this year. Yeah. And 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 uh, when when you're not traveling, how does a typical day look like for you? Oh, it's so hard because I travel. So I'm I'm probably <laughs> traveling seventy percent of the time. Um, so my typical day is actually being in airports yeah. <laughs> uh, or being in one of the lounges. I spend a lot of time in Amex lounges. Highly recommend getting Amex Platinum just for the lounges if you travel as much as I do. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I mean, I don't know. I just wake up and come to work and then go home and do some yoga and then go to sleep. Um, I don't really, I wouldn't say I have like, it's very hard to have a routine when you travel so much. Mm-hmm. And then even on weekends, like I ended up, a lot of my friends uh, are also founders and we ended up, we end up meeting in different places. We're not always though. It's not like, I wouldn't say that I have like most of my close group of friends are, are not in close vicinity to me. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I wouldn't say I have a typical day. No. Where, where, where are your friends kind of based then? I mean, LA, Berkeley, which is, you know, in the Bay Area, but yeah, so just fairly for, far. Uh, the listeners, you're based in San Francisco, Palo Alto. Palo Alto. Yeah, um, Miami, Boston. Um, I have I have a bunch of friends in San Francisco, but I don't actually have close friends in Palo Alto. So to me, to go and hang out with my with any friends, it's at least an hour away. Yeah. So you mentioned to, uh, that you do things like like yoga. Um, it, do you do other things to stay sort of sane, let's say? Um, I, I read a lot. I'm probably going to... My challenge for the year is 52 books, and I'm already at 38. Um I, I mean, I think that works really well because I'm so much, on, I'm, I'm on planes a lot and it's hard. I don't do as much work on planes. So I usually use that time to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I play mobile games, which is kind of an addiction and a vice. And I try to get off of it, but sometimes I still, I still do it. And then I, I go on trips with friends. I, I hang out with friends a lot. Uh, I think that's a big, a big thing for me. I definitely didn't do that the first maybe five years of branch or four years of branch in the past year I started like just yeah. spending more time with people which I think has made really increased my quality of life mm-hmm. yeah, yeah in the beginning when you have a company you're very busy with it you might avoid it but then at some point you're like I'm missing out on something yeah in the beginning I didn't really do it very much I think I just like kind of forgot that there was an outside world. Well, I didn't, I think I was working like 14, 16 hours a day. I, I missed weddings and oh. baby showers. And I think I lost maybe some friendships. And yeah, it was a very, very intense time. Do you live alone or do you have a husband or kids or? No, I live alone. Yeah. 
I probably, if I had husband or a kid, I don't think they would be okay with the amount that I traveled this year. (laughs) (laughs) Dating is hard when you're never around. I will say that. Yeah. I see some people doing it, Uh, but indeed it's not, it's not easy. No, that, I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying yeah. I haven't figured out the solution. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. What What do you like to do exactly when you when you're not working? You mentioned reading and and mobile games and yoga, and seeing friends. Is there anything else? Um. I'm trying to think. I mean, not really. I. No, I don't. I mean, I go swimming. Um, mm-hmm. I live close to Stanford, so I just go to the pool and swim. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I just like reading is a big, really big escape for me. I read, I mean, I read business books, but I also read a lot of fantasy and young adult fiction and, and sci-fi. So that's for me, like definitely what keeps me sane. Yeah. And I paint sometimes too. So that's kind of, that helps a lot to just kind of having an outlet for my creativity. Cool. Are you, are you on Goodreads just out of personal interest? I am. Yes, I am. I should find you then. I am Mada299 <laughs> on Goodreads. You can definitely. I, I never understand how this app works. Like adding someone is the Pretty most hard. serious thing ever. So Mada199. Two nine nine. I don't know whether that's actually gonna help, but yeah, it, it does. I have people I follow. I'm actually very. I use Goodreads a lot to discover new books, and I have like a few people that I don't actually know in real life, but I follow, and um, I know we have similar tastes when it comes to fantasy and stuff. So I like. Yeah. Where I find books is usually because it's so hard. A lot of fantasy books have, they all have high ratings, and some of them suck, and some of them don't. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, I'm, I don't I'm, write reviews, but I do give stars to all my re- my books. So yeah, yeah, I, I recently started writing reviews. I thought if I read the book, then these few minutes writing a review might be helpful to someone. Before I didn't do it either. But. Yeah, I should start doing it too because, like, I spent, um, I, I spent so much of my time like reading other people's reviews. So. It makes sense. Yeah. I'm currently trying to find you, but it's, I don't know how to do it. It just says you have no Mada 299 in your friends. And I'm like, yes, I know, but I want to add someone new. Uh, but it doesn't allow me. They might have some issue there. Okay, so if you go to my friends, there's a little person with a plus button. Yeah. And then if you click on that, you can search username by name or email. Uh, no, it says find contacts and share Goodreads. But the, and then if I do find contacts and it keeps spinning because I have a lot of contacts on my phone. No, no, not in find contacts. So if you go to friends, to my friends, if you click on my friends, there's like a little mm. person with a plus next to it. Yeah, that's where I clicked. Yeah, and then it, that, there's no contact. You don't click on contacts. It just says search users by name or email. Yeah, I don't see that, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll check it later. Or, uh, what's, your, what's your username? Uh, I... I, I honestly have no idea. My name is uh, Irun Korthout, but my username, I have no idea. Okay. Very mysterious. Okay. We'll figure this out later. Um, 
how is how is uh, having a a startup in San Francisco nowadays? It's okay. I don't know. I mean, I've only had a startup in the Bay Area, so I don't know how to com to compare it with. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's good. I mean, what specific questions would do you have about it? No, I mean, is it uh, is it a friendly climate? Uh, I, uh, we 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 hear a lot of things about having a startup in the Bay Area. Obviously, I usually ask this question to someone who is a has a startup just outside London or something, and then how is that? And then, yeah, it's okay. Um, when uh, people are talking about San Francisco, it's often how expensive it is and all that. Uh, yeah, it's really expensive. I mean, our office is in Redwood Shores, which is really beautiful and a little mm -hmm. bit cheaper, but it's not in the middle of things, uh, which means that people have to commute. Yeah. Um, I think in general, like, you know, everything is expensive. Um, but it is what it is. I mean, I think there's an incredible pool of talent here. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's really awesome, but it is more expensive um, than talent in, in other places. So I think that's definitely the downside. Yeah. Are, um, are there any cool companies located very close to your office? Um, I'm not sure. We're in an office park and there's a bunch of different companies. Um, I think Zazzle is here and there's a few others, but. Um, yeah, I came across Zazzle, I think one of these days. What did they do again? I think you can go and order stuff and like make it your own. You can put pictures on, on photo. Oh, oh yeah, right. One of my colleagues was looking for to make magnets, and then I was googling that, and I think I got on Zazzle. Yeah. Uh, right. Cool. Um, let's uh, slowly start wrapping up uh, with learnings. We've been talking a lot about books already, but we didn't mention any. What is the latest good book you've read, and why did you choose to read it? Yeah, the latest one is probably Ben Horowitz's new book called You Are What You Do. Uh, I think I've been thinking a lot about like how to scale our culture and what does culture even mean. He, and he does a very good book, a very good job in the book describing how do you define culture, what are the things you can do. And he has, you know, he gives examples from like, a, like slave revolts and Genghis Khan and and I think when I heard that initially, I was like, oh my God, this sounds terrible, but it was actually a very good book. Yeah. Um, big fan of it. Uh, so that was the last... The book, What, what You I Do Is Who You Are, right? Yes, exactly. It's the, the last book I, 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 uh, I added to my want to read list, coincidentally. Nice, yeah. It was very good. And then before that, I read another pretty good one that's also about culture but it thinks about it from a very different perspective. It thinks mm -hmm. about how do you create a cohesive group and what makes a group cohesive. cohesive. So the book is called The Culture Code, which is- The Culture Code, great. okay. Let me look for that, as, that one as well. Uh, is there anything you wish you would have uh, known when you started out with Branch? Um, I wish I knew how hard it would be. I think, People don't talk enough 
about how hard it is to be a founder. And I think it's a very, and how like, if you're trying to, you know, make a lot of money, starting a company is not necessarily the safest bet (laughs) or the easiest. Uh, And, you know, I think we were very lucky at Branch and we've had a really awesome journey and it has been incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. But when I look back, and also when I look at a lot of my friends who maybe weren't as lucky and we didn't didn't find something like, you know, branch. I mean, we worked hard, but we also, um, we also like were lucky and we were at the market at the right time. So if you compare that to some of my friends who maybe weren't at the right time and who worked just as hard as we did and maybe didn't have as much success as we did, it's just a really, really lonely and hard journey. And I don't think people talk enough about that. So I, I see myself and a lot of my friends who start companies and they think it's this like glamorous, cool thing. And it's really not. It's like the furthest thing from <laughs> glamorous I can think of, yeah. um, especially in the early years. And I think we see so many of the success stories and so few people talk about the failures and mm-hmm. the emotional monsters you have to fight. Um, you think there's any ways in which um, in which we could relieve that uh, emotional stress and loneliness and uh, um... yeah, I think having support groups is really important, and I don't think people do it enough. I think, especially in the early stages, like I have a very strong female founder support group, but I only found it a year ago. And sometimes mm-hmm. I wonder how much easier and how much better my life would have been if I had them, you know, seven years ago when we started. Yeah. And I mean, I, and I also, I had my co-founders um, and I think that helped. And uh, I think solo founders have, been, have it a lot harder than, than, do, than I do. Yeah, definitely. Uh, final question. What is the best piece of advice you ever got? I, I mean, one. I think it really was around starting my company. I think it was, I was in MSNE at Stanford after, uh, so before I went to consulting and I was taking a class at the design school and uh this professor who is now an investor, Michael Deering. And it's not really, I wouldn't say advice, but like he, I remember telling him, it's like, oh, you know, all the startups we work with are so cool, but I don't think I could ever start a company. And I remember he like stopped and put the boxes down. We were walking to his car, taking all the boxes from after class and I was helping him. And he put the boxes down and he looked back at me and he stopped and he said, Mada, if you don't start a company, like, who do you think will? You are smart and always do great. And like, and it was just this power of having someone that I truly, truly admired, believe in me, that it was probably the most powerful, one of the most powerful moments of my life. That was the moment I decided I was going to start a company one day. And it took me a few years after to do it. So... It's not necessarily advice as much as like just someone believing in me that, 
you know, wasn't my mother or a friend. It was just like a stranger who barely knew me, but he, he believed in me and told me he believed in me. So I think, you know, for people listening to the podcast, uh, I think it's important to have cheerleaders and people who believe in you in your life. But it's also important when you see potential in someone to actually t- tell them that you believe in them and they believe you can, they can do it because you might change their life just the way Michael Deering changed mine. Awesome. Thank you again, Mara, for being on Founder Coffee. It was, it was really great to hear your story. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of Founder Coffee. We hope you liked it. Let the world know if you did. Thanks for listening, guys.